When you hear the word forgiveness, what does it make you think of? How does it hit you? How does it grab you? You know, forgiveness is a deep, profound subject because we all need to forgive others and we all need forgiveness. And maybe you're struggling with this subject right now about how to forgive somebody. Forgiveness literally means to send away, to leave it alone, but it can be so hard and so difficult and so challenging. That subject and what Jesus said about forgiveness is today on Walk in Truth. Welcome to Walk in Truth with Michael Lance. Walk in Truth is a ministry of Living Truth Christian Fellowship. It's our goal to build up believers and to reach out with God's truth to all people. And now, here's Pastor Michael. Forgiveness does not mean that sin isn't serious. Forgiveness does not mean that there shouldn't be church discipline. Forgiveness does not mean that sin does not have consequences. Forgiveness does not mean that sometimes even when you forgive a person, your relationship cannot be salvaged. All of those are reality. I think we need to understand the Bible from the full perspective that sometimes a person is forgiven like King David of his sin with Bathsheba, but the consequences followed like night follows day. David was told the child's going to die. What you did in secret, your sons are going to do on the rooftops, and the sword is never going to leave your house. Consequences. Yet the moment David asks for forgiveness, it was extended to him. Here's my point. Just because you forgive somebody, it does not mean that they're not going to have to deal with the consequences. And sometimes forgiveness is probably more important to us than it is to that other person. Example, when I was four years old, my father left our family. He decided to cheat on my mom and uh, leave the family, and I never saw him again. He called me one time when I was 18 because he thought he was dying of a heart attack, and it turned out to be a false uh, scare. He made a promise during that telephone call. He lived in Chicago area. We are in Southern California at the time. He said, I'm going to come and visit you. He never showed up. Some years later, uh, I was on an Ancestry website, and I was able to, to look. You know, Someone in the office was telling me to check this out, and I looked. I put my dad's name in, and I found out that uh, morning that my dad had died three years before that. And so there was, you know, look, as an individual, we always hold out hope that if someone's let us down in our past, maybe there's a chance that we can reconcile. Maybe someone will come to their senses. Maybe there'll be an opportunity for reconciliation or redemption of that person. But it was over. And I had to settle something in my heart. I had to forgive my father. I don't know if my forgiveness meant anything to him because he never spoke to me and he never knew what was going on in my heart, but I needed to forgive my dad. Everybody understand that? I needed to let it go. I needed to release my father into God's hands and say, Lord, whatever was going on in his life, he made his decisions and I'm just going to release him into your care. I don't know if my dad's in heaven I don't know if my dad did any business with God before he died. I have no idea. But, I, but for the sake of who I am and what resentment and bitterness would do to me, I'm letting it go. And, you know, sometimes our forgiveness has very little to do with anybody. Years ago when Bill Clinton was up to his 
shenanigans in the White House, Billy Graham was interviewed, and Billy Graham said, I forgive Bill Clinton. And some of us said, well, Billy, that's nice, but I'm not sure that that really matters. I understand what Billy Graham was saying. He was extending grace, but none of us really knew if Bill Clinton had repented of what he did. And ultimately, what had to happen there is that that act, which is duplicated on this planet who knows how many times during a week, was really between that person and God and the person that he had, persons that he had sinned against. Everybody with me? So sometimes we just forgive people because that's what we need to do. And as a believer, the Bible says these words, if we confess our sins, 1 John 1, 9, he, God, is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now, a lot of you have been around the church for a number of years, and you know that 1 John 1, 9 is a verse that's written to Christians. Some people debate that, but I have no doubt it's written to Christians. I don't think that 1 John 1, 9 is talking about that every time I confess my sin, I'm saved over and over and over again. I don't think that's what the Bible's teaching. But I think what it's saying is that I need a practical forgiveness. There's a difference between a once-for-all judicial forgiveness, here's what I mean, where God, as in a court of law, says, no longer guilty because my son paid for Michael Lance's sins. But there's a practical forgiveness, and here's what I think 1 John 1, 9 is after. I think it's talking about things that muddy my relationship with God or things that can be a hindrance to intimate fellowship with God, and that is unforgiveness in my heart. There's a parallel text that we'll take a look at together, and it's found in 1 Peter. Let's go over there, 1 Peter chapter 3. So towards the back of your New Testament, 1 Peter 3, just a single verse, but it's an important one. It's talking about a marriage here, 1 Peter 3. And the wives are addressed in verses one through six, and the husbands are addressed in verse seven of 1 Peter 3. Here's what it says. You husbands, 1 Peter 3, 7, likewise live with your wives in an understanding way as with the weaker vessel, since she is a woman, and grant her honor, 1 Peter 3, 7, as a fellow heir of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Now, the weakness there is the woman's femininity. It doesn't mean that she's less than a man in all categories. It just means that typically men have wider shoulders than women, and she's feminine, she's a woman, so she needs to be cared for in a special way. It's talking really about her physical weakness uh, as less than a man. If you want to bear this out, when you go home, arm wrestle your wife. If you're a man in this room, you should win. <laughs> if you lose, you're pathetic. <laughs> and we need to get you on a workout program. But I digress. <laughs> because the, the context is actually looking at a husband's treatment of his wife and saying, if you mistreat her, get this, gentlemen, your prayers will be hindered. What prayers? Some, some scholars say your prayers for an unbelieving wife, possible. But it may well be that God will say, if you are mistreating your wife, don't bother praying. Go make it right first. 
Similar words Jesus shares in Matthew 5, it's around verse 22, 23, where he says, look, leave the gift at the altar and go be reconciled first. Don't play a religious game when you are mistreating your wife that you're supposed to love as Christ loved the church and then think that you can go and pray and everything's gonna be fine and God's just gonna give you all that you pray for. Uh Uh-uh. Your prayers are gonna be hindered. I think God's gonna say, you better deal with that first before you come to me for anything. Don't ask me for blessings if you can't even love the one that you committed to love. Now look, that doesn't mean we're not gonna have issues. That doesn't mean we're not gonna have problems. That doesn't mean that we're not gonna have times when we have to you know, chill out, walk away, wake up the next morning and say, I'm sorry. You know, some, some uh, marriage ministries have said, you know, they've taken the verse, don't let the sun go down on your anger, and they've said, that verse means that before you go to bed, you gotta work everything out. I don't think that that's what that verse means. Because if you take it literally, it means before the sun goes down, you gotta work it out, which could be five o'clock in the afternoon. <laughs> what it's meaning is reconcile as quickly as you can, but sometimes the best thing you can do is say, let's take a T.O., baby. That's a timeout. And let's cool our jets before this gets dumber and stupider. Is that a word, stupider? And this just turns into a bunch of things that we're going to regret. Let's chill out. I'm going to go do some business with God. You do some business with God. And we'll come back and talk about this. Amen? Amen. Now, there's a couple other verses I want to point out. First one is in Ephesians 4.32. And this is how it works with Christians. Let's turn there. Ephesians 4.32. Here's what Paul says. He's been talking about putting on the new man, the clothing of the new nature, Ephesians 4.32. And he says these words. And, And before you get there, let me just explain that I think that in order for a Christian to regularly forgive, you've got to put on the clothing of the new nature, which is almost synonymous with the armor of God, okay? When you put on the Lord Jesus Christ, he gives you the power, the eyesight, the willingness to forgive when everything in you says, no, not gonna do it. And then you go into your prayer closet and you say, oh Lord, clothe me with your power, clothe me with your heart. This is what it means to be filled with the Holy Spirit, by the way. These are all synonymous terms. Clothed with the new man, armor of God. They all mean that God is dominating your life. And then you can do things that you never thought you could do before. Like get the words out of your mouth. I forgive you. Or sometimes it's, will you forgive me? Have you ever, anybody, you ever tried that one before? Oh, that was, there's like two people in the room. <laughs> Boy, when we finish up, we're going to do some business with the Lord this morning. It was more than two. Ephesians 4.32 says, Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ, what? Also has forgiven you. You should forgive each other. Did you, did you all get that? Just as God in Christ has forgiven you. Not one time will you ever come to the Lord and he says, I won't forgive you. Just a little bit to your right is the book of Colossians. Go to chapter three. Look at verse 12. 
This again is a treatment of the new man. Colossians 3, 12 says, and so, as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Colossians 3.13. Bearing with one another and forgiving each other, whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. Who writes this? Everybody? Paul. You think Paul had some things to try to forgive people for? Ever followed his missionary journeys in the book of Acts? Ever read his letter to the Corinthians? Where they're saying, you're not terribly impressive, we're not even sure you're apostle, and in fact, we prefer Apollos and Peter over you. Ouch. The guy that planted that church was being mocked by people in the church, leadership in the church, and Paul says, and beyond all these things, Colossians 3.14, put on love which is the perfect bond of unity. Keep reading. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body and be thankful. Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you. Folks, this is how you do it. This is how you forgive. With all wisdom, teaching, and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. How can you hold on to resentment when that's your attitude, right? And whatever you do in word and deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. And then take a look. Wives, be subject to your own husbands as is fitting to the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be embittered against them. Children, everybody, all the kids in here, take a look. Children, be obedient to your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. And fathers, Don't exasperate your children, that they may not lose heart. Hey folks, we'll be back to the teaching in about 30 seconds. I want to tell you about our brand new store at walkintruth.com. We have a lot of great products up there, and we have a new product. It's called Dark Dangers of the Occult, where we actually look at the subject of demon possession, which comes up a lot in the Gospel of Mark. Go to walkintruth.com. Purchase your copy today of Dark Dangers of the Occult, and when you do, you'll be partnering with us at Walk in Truth. Thank you so much, and now, back to the teaching. Singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. How can you hold on to resentment when that's your attitude, right? And whatever you do in word and deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. And then take a look. Wives, be subject to your own husbands as is fitting to the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be embittered against them. Children, everybody, all the kids in here, take a look. Children, be obedient to your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. And fathers, don't exasperate your children, that they may not lose heart. The Bible is very practical. As we turn back to the book of Mark, we'll wind it down. Jesus is saying, look, you guys need to forgive each other because you're about to take this gospel to the ends of the earth and you're too busy fighting. We could say that unforgiveness is ultimately a fruit of the flesh. Galatians 5.20 says, the fruits of the flesh are idolatry, sorcery, listen to this this list, enmities, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, and envying. That's Galatians 5, 20 and 21. Sure seems to me that a lot of problems that we have 
with infighting among people is because we let the flesh dominate instead of the spirit. Jesus said, if you want to follow me, take up your cross and follow me. Some, some people think that taking up your cross you know, has a myriad of reasons, a myriad of definitions, like my cross is my boss or my cross is the freeway. Think about what the cross means. When you take up your cross and follow Jesus, what's the cross a symbol of for Christians? The ultimate act of forgiveness. Could it be, Christians, that to take up your cross is going to be manifested perhaps in one big piece of that pie and you're forgiving other people? Isn't the cross the ultimate symbol of forgiveness? We sit here and we talk about taking up our cross and we think, well, maybe it's a difficult person or difficult circumstances. It may well be, but could it be that when Jesus says, take up your cross, at least part of what he's saying is forgive each other regularly. It's from that cross that Jesus says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they're doing. For thou, Lord, art good and ready to forgive. Psalm, 83, Psalm 86, verse five, your abundant and loving kindness to all who call upon thee. Love, 1 Corinthians 13, 5, keeps no record of wrongs. None. Zero. No record. That's what love does. It does not take into account a wrong suffered. It releases it. It lets it go. Do you know there are people who are sick this morning? And I'm talking about people who are in mental institutions and if you were to get to the bottom of what's going on in their souls, I bet you a lot of it has to do with unforgiveness, resentment, hatred, guilt, and a myriad of other things that make people sick. In fact, unforgiveness can have a physical toll on your body. But the Bible says, blessed is the man whose sin the Lord will not take into account, Romans 4.8, and could I add, how blessed is the believer who forgives because you never have that stirring in your heart to weigh you down. One writer tells of a tribe in Polynesia where it was customary for each man to keep some reminders of his hatred for others. These reminders were suspended from the roofs of their huts to keep alive the memory of wrongs, real or imagined. Oh, yeah, that's when he did that to me. Yeah. And we don't hang them from our roofs, probably. But sometimes they're still hanging from our hearts. In his recent book, How Small a Whisper, Roger Carswell relates an amazing story of a Christian family's response to tragedy. In May of 1987, 39 American seamen were killed in the Persian Gulf when an Iraqi pilot hit their ship, the USS Stark, with a missile. Newspapers carried a picture of the son of one of these seamen, a shy five-year-old boy named John Kaiser. He was standing with his hand on his heart as his father's coffin was loaded onto a plane to take him back to the USA. His mother said, quote, I don't have to mourn or wear black because I know my husband is in heaven. I am happy because I know he is better off. Later on, she and her young son John sent a letter and an Arabic New Testament to the pilot of the Iraqi plane addressed to, quote, the man who attacked the Stark, dad's ship, in the hope that it will show that even the son and the wife do not hold any grudge and are at the same time praying for the one who took the life of our father. 
If you, O Lord, kept a record of sins, O Lord, who could stand? I don't know what you may be dealing with personally this morning, but I have a feeling that some of you are here and God has spoken directly to some situations. In fact, I would venture to say that some of you have seen faces and individuals and replayed scenarios in your heart and mind this morning that still weigh heavy on your heart. Now, I'm not saying this is easy, and I'll tell you this. As I preach this, I'm preaching to myself. I'm not talking down to anyone. But I am saying this, that it would be good for the forgiven community to practice forgiveness as regularly as we can as much as it is possible, as much as it depends on us, we're to live at what? Peace with all people. There are some people who don't want peace with you right now. You do your part, that's all God is going to ask of you, and then you leave the rest to God. I want to take you back to Colossians, final verse, said the preacher. <laughs> Colossians 2. I want to show you the great forgiveness that we've all received in Christ. I'm going to ask the worship team to come on up if you can hear my voice, and uh, let's look at Colossians 2, 13 through 15. This is who we are in Christ. Colossians 2, 13. It says, when you were dead in your transgressions and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive together with him, Colossians 2, 13, having forgiven us, how many? All our what? Transgressions, there's that same word, not just that we're imperfect, but even the big mistakes that we've made. Having canceled out the certificate of debt or the written code consisting of decrees against us, which was hostile to us, he, that is Jesus, has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. Now one writer says, we might better understand the expression having nailed it to the cross if we remember what was customary under Roman law when a criminal was executed, was to hang a placard above his head indicating the nature of the crime so that all would know why Rome was administering this vengeance or justice. J.B. Phillips says, Christ utterly wiped out the damning evidence of broken laws and commandments which was also hung over our heads. He removed it and nailed it to the cross. John MacArthur said, canceled out means to wipe off. It's like erasing a blackboard. Ancient documents were commonly written on either papyrus or paper-like material made with bulrush plant or vellum, which was made from an animal's hide. The ink used then had no acid in it and did not soak into the writing material. Since the ink remained on the surface, it could be wiped off uh, by the scribe if he wanted to reuse the material. Paul says here that God has wiped off our certif certificate of debt. He has erased it in full. He is no longer holding our sins against us. And all God's people said, amen. amen. And now we have a ministry. And our ministry, since we're a new creation in Christ, is a ministry of reconciliation. See, God has reconciled us back to himself through his son. He's no longer charging our sins against us. And we have received now a ministry of reconciliation as though God were pleading through us for people to be reconciled to God. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf, that in him we might become what? The righteousness of God. We have a ministry. 
It's a ministry to proclaim from the housetops that forgiveness is available in Christ if we will simply turn and trust in him. He bore in his body our sins on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. For by his wounds, we were healed. Would you bow with me? Father, thank you that we were all like sheep going astray, but now we have returned to the shepherd and guardian of our souls. Thank you that forgiveness is ours in Christ. Lord, help us to be a forgiving people. Help that person who may be wrestling with unforgiveness. And for those who may have just a a past experience that's hard to release to you, it's hard to release that person. I know that might be a process, but give them the grace that they need as well. Just help us to hear your voice, Lord. Whatever has been valuable from my lips, let people hold on to it. Whatever they need to just brush aside that's not from you, let them quickly forget it. But I pray that in these moments, Lord, we'll experience anew your forgiveness for us, of us and help us to extend it and receive it and in regards to other people. If you're not a Christian, you haven't experienced that first forgiveness that you need, that judicial forgiveness You must turn to Christ now. There's no time like the present. You don't know that you're going to have tomorrow. Do it today. It's something like this. If you're not a Christian, you're not sure, God forbid, if you died tonight, you would end up in heaven. Something like this. Jesus, pray it out loud if it's you. Save me. Thank you that love drove you to that cross. Thank you that love held you to that cross. Thank you that you paid the price for my sin. Thank you for your resurrection, I believe. And I turn to you. I ask that you'll forgive me of my sins. Give me a new start. Help me to forgive others who have hurt me. Help me even to forgive myself this morning. If you're a prodigal and you've been running from God, or maybe you just there's some things that have stirred in your heart because of this morning, lay them at the feet of Jesus, lay them at the foot of the cross, release that stuff to God. We often talk about letting go of fear and anger. Let's let go of unforgiveness. Father, help us to release it to you. And I pray for the precious people here at Living Truth. You'll just bless them, strengthen them in every way they need it in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, you've listened to a message on forgiveness. Now here's the big question. Are you forgiven? You know, the Bible says in him, in Christ, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace. Forgiveness is a gift of grace, but you must receive it. Do you know you're forgiven? Do you know, God forbid, if you died tonight, you would be in heaven? You can know. If you have the Son, you have the life, the Bible says, but you must have the Son. Ask Him into your life. You might say, Pastor Michael, how do I do that? I want forgiveness. Don't we all? We should. It's something like this. Pray it if it's you. If you're driving, keep your eyes open. Lord Jesus, come into my life. I believe you died on that cross for me. I believe that you shed your blood for my sin. I believe you rose from the dead. And I'm going to put my trust in you as my Lord and my Savior. I repent and receive you as my Lord and my King. Hey, if you did that, we would like to know. Reach out to us at walkintruth.com. Thank you for listening to today's program. 
If you'd like to listen to this message in its entirety, or if you'd like to visit our church here in Corona, California, visit our website, walkintruth.com.